Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. I'm your host, Mitch Friedman. Ideas have consequences, and every day you're exposed to ideas that promise human flourishing. Our mission here on the Pinocchio Project is to equip you to examine these everyday ideas so that you can determine for yourself whether or not they deliver on their promises. Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. This is your host, Mitch Friedman. With Jeff Olson, we're broadcasting to you from beautiful, hot Lago Vista, Texas. It's as hot as it was on our last episode. You know why? Because we're only about 15 minutes removed. Uh, But even if it was next week, Jeff, I think it would still be as hot, if not hotter. Uh, I'm getting a tan these days. I go outside for three minutes and uh, look up at the sun and take my shirt off and put it back on. And then I go in. And I'm getting, I'm getting a tan just in that short little time of a sunburst. And the vitamin D is helpful in those short bursts. Uh, so today, uh, our episode, I think this is episode five of season two. Uh, I want to I focus in on the third question of worldview construction. Uh, so our worldview constructs, if you recall, and hopefully I'm saying it often enough, if you're listening often enough, uh, it's almost becoming second nature. Uh, The worldview questions, the questions that every image bearer has to ask and answer about what makes life worth living or human flourishing in order to live satisfactorily. And so those worldview questions that come together to form a whole are uh, one, origins. Where did I come from? Where did this come from? Do I have design and purpose? The second question what is wrong with this place? The third, what can be done to fix what's wrong with this place? And the fourth, where is all this going? Uh, So those are the general questions. And we've said uh, repeatedly and refreshed repeatedly that a biblical worldview answers the question of origins with creation. We are the product of a divine mind uh, that has put everything into motion in the heavens and earth. He's populated the earth with all good things. And then Image bearers, human beings, are the crown jewel, the object of his affection, the apple of his eye, as his regents and his stewards of this great creation. So that's the that's the creation answer to the origins question. Uh, the problem question is answered biblically with the fall, uh, that I decided that God hasn't done enough, and I now am a riddled with selfishness, the need for autonomy, uh, I, I, I must promote myself, protect myself, indulge myself, and make sure my agenda succeeds overall. So literally what's wrong with this place becomes me interacting with other people who are made of the same stuff I am, and we're creating all kinds of chaos. And we need, <laughs> we need the remedy uh, provided. And the third question of remedy to what's wrong with this place has been provided biblically in God's gracious powerful sacrificial son Jesus Christ and he took all of my sin on himself he went to the cross Uh, God made him who knew no sin become sin in my place so that in him now I could become the righteousness of God and in that redemption is not just a ticket to heaven but I've literally been given my my humanity back so that I become an agent of restoration. I can go all the way back to the mandates in Genesis to be a steward of the earth, to form and fill the earth, to create culture and to bring God glory by entering into a dynamic, uh, consistent committed family life that generationally produces more consistent 
a flourishing family life, and the result is uh, thriving cultures and civilizations. So that's the that's the remedy and salvation question. The, the question, what, how can we be saved, is answered in Jesus Christ. And then finally, the destinations question, uh, biblically, is answered in restoration. That I now, as redeemed, am now an agent of restoration, and I offer uh, to the world. I see uh, what's broken, and I, I help to heal it. I see what's missing, and I attempt to provide it for flourishing. I see what exactly is evil and I stand against it. So I am now an agent of restoration in this time of restoration. And ultimately God will restore all things as we see in the movement of Revelation 21 and 22, uh, where heaven and earth now don't collide, but combine as the new heavens and the new earth come down and the new Jerusalem is established and God's reign moving into what we call the eternal state is established where God will wipe every tear from our eyes. Everything will be made right, literally already been made right uh, so that we live in this, this next vivid season that we really can't get our, our minds around uh, in this finite state. But today I want to focus on uh, our current, uh, I don't want to call it upheaval. Maybe that's a good word. Well, that's a good word our current upheaval uh, that's still going on uh, as Roe v. Wade has been overturned. And it's probably a legitimate reality that it is an upheaval because uh, we've been used to as a culture uh, living with uh, abortion as a quote-unquote right for now 50 years. And to suddenly take that quote-unquote right away from a legal perspective, from a, from a judicial mandate and giving it back to the states uh, is now creating all kinds of flare-ups and one of the first things we should understand, I guess, as I move forward, is uh, from a from a state or government or political perspective uh, that the, the the federal judiciary, uh, the Supreme Court, has has given the decision making back to the states regarding uh, the legitimacy of abortion. If you listen to our last episode. Uh, we gave you a syllogism of first principles that should guide you as this question is returned to the states about whether or not a, abortion uh, or legalized murder of the unborn uh, should be allowed. Uh, we gave you a syllogism of first principles. If you didn't listen to the last episode, you just heard me say syllogism of first principles and don't lose control of your car trying to figure this out. I know it'll make your mind melt. Uh, just go back and listen to the last episode. That would be uh, episode four. Uh, so as Roe v. Wade has been overturned and we see this, uh, this upheaval, I want to remind us of a few things about a biblical worldview, Christians. I see the air that you breathe, uh, the cultural water that you drink and you swim in uh, is largely secular. Uh, it's not biblical, meaning that the answers to the secular worldview questions are way different than the biblical answers to the worldview questions. And therefore, we should not be surprised at the numbers, the huge percentage of image bearers that are enslaved by these bad ideas of secularism that are insisting now that we have thrown the United States back into the dark ages. Uh, but the Christian response to government decisions I've watched over the last few decades become more and more troublesome. And what I mean is this. Uh, it seems that Christians get caught up 
in the political process to the point of seeing the state as salvation. Uh, and let me, let me say as a caveat, as agents of restoration, Christians are indeed responsible to be involved in the political process. We should be interested in policymaking, especially as to uh, legislation of, of morality and uh, initiation of policies that can, that can help the oppressed and uh, initiation of policy that enforce biblical values and virtues. So I'm not saying that a Christian in our culture abdicates political responsibility. Uh, it's quite the opposite. What I am saying is it's fairly uh, easy and almost unnoticed for a Christian in our culture to experience what I call a, a salvation shift. And we get off the first principles of Jesus Christ uh, as our salvation. And we more and more agree uh, with cultural secular ideas that salvation is found in the state. And, you know, Jesus himself uh, experienced this tension uh, when he arrived on the scene as the promised Messiah, the one that Israel, uh, his his homeland, his beloved, had been uh, waiting for. They, they were waiting for him uh, literally for hundreds and hundreds of years. He was promised to them through the Old Testament prophets, and then he became now the fulfillment of those divine fingerprints uh, of prophecy as he entered the scene in the first century. And it's called the first century basically because Jesus was born and that was the beginning of the Anno Domini. But as he arrived on the scene, uh, Israel saw herself oppressed by a series of nations and then contemporarily they were under Rome's uh, rulership and they would say under Rome's boot heel or Rome's thumb. And when Jesus arrived on the scene and be began proclaiming salvation in the kingdom of God, uh, the large majority of the motherland and even the, the politicians began to see Jesus as a possible salvation as to establishing political or state supremacy. So they saw him as the one who would be arriving on the Air Force One, if you will, of, of governmental overthrow uh, so that the, the yoke of Rome could be thrown off. And he kept insisting over and over again that his kingdom was not of this world. He was interested in justice being done. He was interested in morality and flourishing being done in, in the main, in the moment. But he had a grander plan for what it meant to be saved. He had a more permanent plan. He had an internal transformation in mind and not an external rearrangement of the political landscape. So this tendency is as old as we see uh, throughout the first century moving forward. That, that we begin to trust in the state as salvation. So I've titled this episode, uh, When We See Salvation as a 5-4 Mandate. And uh, that's the scorekeeping, or that's, that's the ruling uh, breakdown of SCOTUS, or the Supreme Court, for this most recent uh, victory. And it is a victory. I do not want to uh, understate that. Uh, it is a victory for Roe v. Wade to be overturned. It's a victory for life. Uh, it is a statement of both mourning and celebration for the tens of millions of unborn children who have been slaughtered legally uh, in our country uh, since 1973. It is a victory, but that's that's kind of a scorekeeping metric. Salvation now seen as a 5-4 mandate. When we look to the government, when we look to the state, when we look to the judiciary as the ones who will now implement our our salvation and and 
tell us what we need to do and provide laws and resources for us to flourish, then we have left the first principles of Jesus Christ as our Savior and the one who offers us everything that's good and godly and required for our our flourishing. Uh, We will begin to lose focus on the main thing. And as a friend of mine always used to say to me, hey, Mitch, the main thing is that we keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, so what I want to do is, first I want to ask you, do you find yourself more and more gravitating to uh, your life's going to be better and, and you will get what you need and you'll, you'll finally flourish uh, if the state is arranged and the political leaders are arranged according to your preferences? Uh, like who, who's the guy in the White House or the gal that may be in the White House someday? Uh, how, what's the breakdown of conservatives and liberal, liberals in the Supreme Court? Uh, what, what new policies are being promoted or being denigrated. And overall, just this attitude of hyper-focus on government and policy over and against my reliance on the beauty and promise of my Savior. So what I want to do real quick is I want to go back to that third question from a biblical perspective, uh, how can we be saved, or the redemption question that's rooted in the broad category of How can what's wrong be fixed? And we've already stated uh, quite clearly that Jesus Christ, from a biblical worldview perspective, is creator. He defines reality. He's provided our redemption. He that knew no sin became sin for us. So I want just to remind us of the the kind of opposing viewpoints. Uh, From a biblical worldview, how can we be saved is answered in the divine mind supplying Jesus Christ and now re-reach all the way back to Genesis and live into the mandates for morality and stewardship and dominion that are required for flourishing. So that is the biblical worldview answer to how can we be saved. The divine mind commissioning and sending his son Jesus Christ to accomplish salvation for us and now mandating, going all the way back to Genesis, the required stewardship and dominion that we need for flourishing. So from a biblical worldview, the answer to how can we be saved is the divine mind now providing everything for us in his son, period. Uh, what we don't realize is uh, in, these, in these United States, uh, I don't know if you, anybody remember Reader's Digest? Reader's Digest? Well, I used to gobble up Reader's Digest. As a matter of fact, if, if I have any decent vocabulary it's, at all, it's because uh, of the section in Reader's Digest that is known as, it pays to increase your word power. Anybody? Anybody? Uh, even as a little kid, I don't know why. I've, I mean, I guess if I was in a dentist's office or a doctor's office, that was the first section I'd go to in, uh, in Reader's Digest was the vocabulary test. It pays to increase your word power. Uh, so as much as I enjoyed... It pays to increase your word power. My second favorite section of Reader's Digest was called uh, Life in These United States, uh, where there was a collection of anecdotes that uh, illustrated the, uh, the beauty of living in this great land. Uh, and Life in These United States, many of us may not realize, uh, is an actual experiment and a, and a gift to us uh, as to what it means to live in ordered liberty. Our nation is the very first one in recorded history that began with this idea of a moral and religious people self-governing. And we were given this gift as a stewardship 
uh, and as a garden, and as we've talked about, we talk about gardens a lot. If I don't care for the garden, if I neglect it, uh, then it is slowly going to be overrun by things uh, that are not conducive to flourishing. And so what I'd like to offer is we, we've kind of gotten ourselves in this uh, predicament over the last several decades here uh, where we've been distracted from what it means to live as a self, self-governing moral and religious people. And we started following the siren call of the sex god and the god of affluence and the god of pleasure. And again, all those things rooted in me uh, from that fall section of the biblical worldview, my, my need to self-indulge. And as we've done so, we've taken our hands off the wheel of stewarding this experiment in ordered liberty. And so uh, largely, if, if you, if you want to say, hey, how did we get in this position? How is the government so corrupt? Uh, how is it that we continue to fight these battles that are obviously immoral and we, we wrestle against uh, enslaved image bearers and the ideas that have enslaved them and, and are producing a degrading in our culture? The, the answer to the question, how did we get here, is, is a look in the mirror for, for, for most of Americans who call themselves Christians. Uh, because the, the more distracted we got by secular pursuits and selfish and autonomous pursuits, the more distracted we become, the less now that we own the moral responsibility of being in our own sphere of influence and being an influence for the kingdom of God. And so the question is, oh, if you're wringing your hands and, 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 and sweating and, and wondering about the future and asking, how did we get here? Uh, really, we just need to, as, as Americans, uh, Christian Americans, we, we need to take a look in the mirror. Uh, I would offer that since it's a moral universe, uh, over time, we, we get, since we, we order our representation, we get to vote for them, we have a voice. Uh, we've neglected that voice either by not voting, abdicating the process altogether, or by being confused as to first principles of biblical virtue uh, for the men and women that we decide to put in office. Because if it's true that, that this thing will only survive, this experiment in order, liberty will only survive uh, if there's a moral and religious center, then it's obvious as we look at biblical values, uh, either evident or not in our policymakers, it's more often not uh, than it is present. And so I just want to remind us of the the danger of living in a 5-4 mindset and hope that the next judicial act or the next federal legislative act or the next state act uh, is going to be the one to now uh, restore us to a place that we think we either deserve or that we want to be because that is not a proper biblical worldview. So a biblical worldview, again, uh, answering how can we be saved the divine mind providing Jesus Christ has given us all things required for our flourishing. Now, let's look, as we did in our last episode, at the answer to the question as provided by the cultural air you breathe, a secular humanist perspective, which has no place for God, sees human beings as highly evolved, even though accidental and random. Uh, try to put those things together. Uh, how can a highly evolved be seen as someone who can't even trust their own consciousness because of the random undirected act by which they came to be. I don't understand. Is that, is that inconsistent, Jeff? Is that contradictory? Is inconsistent and contradictory compatible with a functional worldview? I'm just asking. So here's the answer 
to the how can we be saved question from a secular perspective. And it's literally, if I can summarize it, it is salvation by the state, by government. So just to remind you, uh, the Dobbs decision, which was rooted in Mississippi and brought to the Supreme Court by God's grace, was a 5-4 decision. 5-4. So mere human beings are ruling, and they're literally voting and we are dependent. Millions of Americans are dependent on these decisions. And it amazes me how easily we just we just will allow ourselves to be governed uh, by these what I would call informed, brilliant people. But they're also now slaves to their own worldview. They're answering their own questions, too. So we think if we have more conservatives than liberals, that things will always go our way. But that hasn't been the case. I need to remind you that in 2015, in the Obergefell decision, which legitimized same-sex marriage in our land, which I would offer as downstream of the decision to legitimize abortion, that, that it's just it's a mile marker on the way. But, but the Obergefell decision, which legitimized same-sex marriage, which is contrary to God's mandate for flourishing culture, because male and female, by design, are expected to come together in an inseparable sexual, emotional, and spiritual union, producing children who have the security of knowing mom or dad aren't going, mom and dad aren't going anywhere, and they, they grow up under that umbrella of security and protection, and then they reproduce that same worldview, providing security and protection for their own children. But a 5-4 vote now legitimized same-sex marriage in our land. And there was a, a, a whole range of, a litany of, a cacophony of voices from a secular perspective celebrating that as salvation. What is wrong with the world? Well, religious bigots won't let us do what we want. What can be done to fix it? The state. If we can get this thing to the Supreme Court. And we should pray that Obergefell gets overturned as well. Not because we're bigots, but because we believe that the divine mind understands what's best for sinful human beings to be under the beautiful, easy yoke of God's divine providence and plan in Jesus Christ to create flourishing culture. But I'm not necessarily concerned with the secular mind, although we need to pray and be influencers in enslaved, unenslaved, for enslaved image bearers. But I'm concerned with Christians who have adopted this salvation by the state thing as well. You see, when it's salvation by state, we trust that mere human beings will define our flourishing and human beings that more and more have no North Star. It, it, we, can, we can be, quote unquote, uh, comforted by the fact that the current makeup of the Supreme Court, for example, uh, has more conservatives than liberals. But the, the, the ideological pathway of our nation is producing from the schools uh, and from the courts more and more decision makers that have not a biblical worldview or even a conservative mindset as we would define it. And there's no true transcendent, unmovable North Star that holds sway in these mere human beings' lives. So they will be swayed more and more by the tides of culture. You see, because politics is downstream of culture, and culture is downstream from religious values. And when religious values wane, then culture begins to erode. And as culture begins to erode, 
the political decisions, although claiming salvation and flourishing, actually begin to have more and more of a detrimental effect. So in 2015, 540 Burgerfell, on June the 25th, it was 5-4 Dobbs. Actually, I think it was June 24th. June 26, 2015 was Obergefell. Uh, June 24th, uh, also a 5-4, was the Dobbs decision. One really bad decision as to flourishing was the Obergefell decision. One really good decision as to human flourishing, the, 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 the right to life for human beings yet unborn in the Dobbs case. Isn't it funny how the, the how SCOTUS, the Supreme Court, waits till the very last days of their session? It's almost like, oh, it's a cliffhanger. What's going to happen? Give me some more popcorn. Let's go. I can't wait. Uh, you know, they could have released this thing because we saw it in the leak. Anyway, salvation by state, Christian, means that mere humans define flourishing and more and more that have no true transcendent, unmovable North Star. Uh, so I need to remind you that you may be a Christian secularist. Uh, there's my Jeff Foxworthy thing. You know, you might be a secular Christian if you're hoping and praying that in this next presidential election, your guy will win and salvation will arrive on Air Force One. Uh, you just need to fight that for a couple of reasons. One is uh, every human being is a mixed bag and we should vote in all elections uh, and we should vote for the candidate that represents most truly biblical values that you think will integrate into his or her policy making. But probably the most dangerous uh, aspect of this mindset that I'm waiting for this, the right people to be in government is that I completely disregard, disregard my responsibility to be an agent of restoration in my sphere of influence. I, I completely abdicate my responsibility as an hour redeemed image bearer offering beautiful ideas to enslaved image bearers who are being taken to destruction through the outcomes of ideas that they have now bought hook, line, and sinker that promise flourishing but deliver only degrading. So if you're a Christian, a Christian secularist, if you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ but you hold to these other non-biblical worldview commitments, then you have some decisions to make. And these decisions will determine your own flourishing, they'll deter determine the flourishing of your family, and they will determine possibly the influence toward flourishing for the important people in your lives and your spheres of influence. For the Pinocchio Project, this is Mitch Friedman signing off. Thanks so much for being with us on the Pinocchio Project today. If this podcast has value for you, please subscribe or follow, give us a five-star rating, and share. If you have an everyday idea you'd like to submit for us to examine, simply email us at pinocchioprojectpod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at pinocchiopod, or you can hit the links in the show notes below. Thanks again for listening, and remember, your everyday ideas have significant consequences.